0: Such a great time in worship this morning, I tell you both both services I mean just got me so thank you for to our, our worship team this morning. I tell you Lord, I just the, the presence of the Lord is just just very sweet today so I will do my best to get through this. <laughs> thank you for your your grace. Uh, my name is Amy Winkle. I am the priest in charge uh, for this season while Jenny is on maternity leave. And we are continuing to walk through the season of Advent. I'm sorry, Advent, wow. Uh, Sorry. All right, here we go. We are not in Advent. We are in Epiphany. Um, We continue to be in the season of Epiphany. And with that, we um, are walking through the book of Matthew. Um, And in that, we are exploring in more detail what it means to be citizens of heaven. In addition, at the end of our services, we are praying for various vocations as a way to acknowledge that how we live in this world matters. And that how um, we live out our vocations specifically is evidence of the reality that we belong to the kingdom of God in the here and now. Not just in one day somewhere far off, but it matters right now. So over the next few weeks, um, we're going to be exploring this reality even more as we walk through the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's kind of talk about Matthew um, and review a little bit of of where we've been, kind of how this this journey that we've been on so far. So Matthew walks us through Jesus' birth, um, his escape into Egypt, and then his return to Galilee, and then John the Baptist coming on the scene to announce his coming. After his baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tested and then begins his ministry and calls his disciples. And so at the point where we are now, what we see is the the crowds have begun to gather around Jesus. Um, And and so now he's going to go up the mountain and start to teach them. So this path that Jesus is on reminds us of the journey of Israel, um, who came out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and then to Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up to receive the law. And so what's happening is that Matthew's taking us on a similar journey as a way of showing us that Jesus is very much tied to the story of Israel. And more than that, he is the embodiment and the fulfillment of all the promises that God has given to the people of Israel. So this moment of Jesus going up the mountain to teach makes us pause and say, what is happening? Is this a moment like Moses receiving the law? So this part of the text is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, that lay out a large section of Jesus' teaching. So up to this point, John and Jesus have um, exhorted the people to repent for the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of heaven has come near. Excuse me. So now Jesus is expounding on what it means to belong to the kingdom of heaven. So our text for this morning is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And as we get ready to read the text, I want you just to imagine that you're one of the disciples and that you are seeing Jesus do all of these miracles. You're walking with him, and you're watching the crowds get bigger and bigger around you. And you can just feel the excitement building, right? Like, oh man, something's happening here. Like, what's going on? And then Jesus walks up the mountain, and he sits down. And you and the other disciples gather around him, to hear what he's going to say, you all take your place, and you, there's like this moment of ooh expectation. What's Jesus going to say? What is this moment going to be? And so Jesus begins to speak, and here's what he says. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. And for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus begins by saying, blessed are. Or another way to say this would be wonderful news to certain groups of people, to certain people. (laughs) So he's not telling them what they need to do to be blessed, but instead he's highlighting something that is already a reality. So what is it that has his attention? In this moment, we want to understand what Jesus is focusing on and what he wants us to see about the kingdom of heaven. And so we look at the text and we say, okay, who is it that Jesus is calling out in this moment? And we see this. We see the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So when you hear these words and when you think about these descriptions, I wonder, what is it that you hear? Who do you think of? My guess is that this is not what the disciples were expecting him to talk about. My guess is that they were expecting something different. Maybe him to talk about following Torah. Maybe to talk about all the miracles and the crowds that were following Jesus. I mean, that would make sense, right? Like this momentum is happening. And like kind of, if I can imagine, like, okay, Jesus is going to sit down and he's going to start talking to us. And maybe we're going to talk about, like, how do we keep this momentum going? Like, how do we keep doing these things that we're doing? What is it going to look like? What's the plan, Jesus? What's, what's going on in your mind? And Jesus starts talking about the poor in the spirit, and those who mourn, and the meek and peacemakers, about those who are easier to be ignored misunderstood or even pushed off to the side, not necessarily those who hold power. This is not what a world-shaking movement should be about. You could be missing the moment here, Jesus. I wonder if the disciples are thinking, right? Like, wait a minute, this isn't what we thought. Like we thought we're like we're trying to keep this thing going, right? Why in the world are you talking about the poor in spirit, Jesus? Yet there's a point that Jesus is trying to make here, something significant about the kingdom of heaven that he wants them and us to see. He is announcing the gospel, the good news. And the reality of the gospel is that the kingdom shows up in places and in ways and in peoples that people that we do not expect. And here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is pointing to the ones who know that they cannot do this on their own, who know that they are dependent on and need God. His call to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is a message that they can respond to. Turning their whole selves and submitting to the Lord is a posture that is possible and probably not foreign to them. And because of this, Jesus says, this is their reality. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will receive mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. Now, we spend a lot of time unpacking each one of these. And obviously we don't have time to do that. So for the sake of time, we're going to kind of talk about it as a whole as best we can. And let me just say this too. I stand up here before you humbly and and honestly with fear and trembling because there's just so much here in this text that this is not one of those that we like hit once and then, okay, got it, right? This is one we keep circling the mountain over and over and over again because there's so much here. And there's so much truth here about our life with God and about what the reality of the kingdom of God is. And it's just hard for us to get it, right? And I don't know about you, but I read these words and I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) This is hard, and yet it's true. Like, you feel it, right, in your bones. You feel it in your spirit. Like, there's something here that's really true. I'm not sure how this whole thing works its way out, Lord. I'm really not. So I just say that up front. that I just I come before you humbly um, as we talk about this. What's interesting and maybe somewhat frustrating about the Beatitudes is that they are not formulaic. It's not a do this and then you will be blessed. Instead, it's more about a pl- being in a place of receptivity. It is the posture that Jesus is calling out and saying that, we, that when we recognize that we need God, that's when we will encounter him. And so for me, this is where the spiritual journey comes in, turning our attention away from trying to be something or to make something happen, but instead we're called to follow. We're called to get on the path, not really knowing what all the twists and turns are going to be or where it's even going to end up totally. It's tempting to want to think, if I could just do this or if I do that, then this will happen. And that's that's what our world tells us too, right? Like if you do this, 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 and this, then this outcome will come to you. Then you will be blessed. And there's theology out out there that would espouse to this. But when we see what Jesus is focused on here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we see that it's more about following, more about being dependent on him no matter what comes along. And so I found it to be helpful for me to have language to put around the journey so that we know kind of where we are and we know that we're not alone. And so one, a book that, I, that um, I've, I keep going back to over and over again to sort of help with this language is this book called The Critical Journey. And so if we can put this slide up. So, um, so this book called Critical Journey is by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. And what they do in this book is they kind of name out these different stages of our faith. Now, let me start by saying this looks linear. It is not meant to be linear. There's actually in the book it's like a circle, but, you know, Um, I just kind of laid it out this way. But to say that throughout our lives we're in different stages at different times. And sometimes we're in multiple stages at the same time. And here again, not formulaic, right? But just trying to give us some handlebars, like some things to hold on to, to say, like, where am I? And where, where are you, Lord? Like, what, where am I off track? Am I on the path? Like, where am I exactly? So let's talk a little bit about these different stages. So the first stage is the recognition of God, the understanding that, like, there is a God, and there's a sense of awe about that, um, that we have to choose at some point to actually get on the path. Right, and so for some of us, it might have been like it was like not a just something that came naturally to us in the sense of it's something we grew up with and understood from a very young age. For others of us, it may have been like a big turning in our lives to say I was going in this direction and now I'm going in that direction. But at some point and throughout our spiritual lives, there there are these times where we just recognize the the presence of God in our lives and say yes, I want to follow that. That's stage one. Stage two is the life of discipleship. That's the point of our lives where we get into community with other believers. We start learning more and more about the foundations of the faith um, and kind of just what this thing is all about as best we can. And so that's stage two. And so kind of this like growing and learning uh, more and more about about our faith. Stage three is when we get busy. (laughs) Busy for God. Um, When we like start to figure out how to live this thing out. What does this look like in my day to day life? How do I like live faithfully with the Lord? How do like why do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? How do I spend you know who are my friends? all of those kind of things like there's a lot happening in stage three, a lot of outward looking um, and kind of and just like say like busyness in some ways for the Lord at some point though it starts things can start to like questions can start to seep in and maybe the things that we thought this life was going to look like, this life with God was going to look like, are not coming to pass the way that we thought they were. And so things can start to break down, or questions can start to pop up, um, or things happen in our lives and circumstances happen that are confusing, and we're not sure what to make of it because we don't have a box for it, so to speak. We don't, it's not something that we, were, that we know what to do with. And so in that moment, um, we go inward, and it's called the journey inward to see, like, kind of what's happening inside. I'm feeling some confusion. I'm feel, maybe I'm feeling doubts, and I'm, and I'm not sure what to do, and so I'm going to just turn inward. And what can happen in that stage is that we hit the wall. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the wall. It, it is what it sounds like. <laughs> this moment of just like, man, I can't go any further. Like, I'm stuck, and I don't know what to do. And boy, is it dark right here. And so the wall is described as our will facing God's will and choosing whether or not to surrender. It's like a moment of wills, right? Like coming head to head. A major crisis point where everything is on the line. So here's what Hagberg and Gulick say about the wall. When we get to the wall, we can make different choices. We can scale it. We can dig under it. We can dance around it, jump over it, or drill holes through it. We also can go back to earlier stages as a relief from the intensity of the wall. Or we may find our faith cannot survive the wall, and so we abandon our faith and the wall altogether. And what's another alternative to this, though? The other alternative is to put the other knee down. Now, what do I mean when I say that? So back... And it was crazy how long ago it was. But around the time of 9-11, the Sunday after 9-11 happened, I heard a pastor pastor at our church was talking about it. And he was saying, like, this moment in our life together, um, in our country and in our church, like, this has, like, been like a punch to the gut. Right? Like, this thing has happened, and we're trying to make sense of it, and we're not really sure what to do. And so we feel like we've kind of got punched in the gut, and we've gone down on one knee. And now we have to decide how we're going to respond and there are lots of ways that we can respond. We can get fearful and anxious. We can get angry. We can, we can just walk away altogether. You know, there are a lot of different ways that we can respond. But one thing that he, he said was, the other thing that we can do is we can put the other knee down and surrender to the Lord. To say, I don't really know what's going on here, and I'm not really sure what to do about it, but I'm going to put my knee down and say, I believe in you, and I believe you're good, and that you're still here. We see examples of this throughout Scripture. Abraham and Isaac, Isaac take, Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him, Jacob wrestling with the angel, Naomi losing all that she had, Job losing all that he had, Elijah in the cave, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, These moments when we feel the punch in the gut. We have them too, right? I don't know what they are in your life, but they could be something like a loss of a loved one. The death of a dream. You lost your job. I don't know what it might be for you. But what is it? What are those moments where we felt like we just couldn't move anymore? I have, the, I have those moments in my life, those moments where it's like, Lord, I am just beating my head against the wall. And there's nowhere to go. I don't know where to go. And the Lord's invitation to me and to you in those moments to say, are you going to trust me? Are you going to put your other knee down? Because I am good, even if you can't see it. So I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here is that when these moments come to us on our journey with him, we can look for and expect that God is present. Like I feel like all of these different folks that, that Jesus has, has highlighted, right? They're in, they're in different spots, right? There, there's the poor in the spirit. There's the humble, meaning the, um, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are merciful, pure in heart. Like some of it is like circumstantial, and some of it is just sort of what's coming out of them. But I bet you each one of them has been at the wall. And they've put their other knee down and said, I surrender to you. And what, what does Jesus say happens in that moment They will receive the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. That God wants to reveal himself more to us and to make us more into his image. And so, as we follow Jesus, this becomes our reality. All of it. We become the poor in spirit. We we might experience mourning. We're pure in heart, meek, peacemakers, persecution. It's all in there, it's all part of this journey. But the other thing is, so is God. He's part of this journey, too. And we ha- when we have the deepest parts of us turn toward him, when we put the other knee down, then the reality of heaven can burst in and we no- get to know him in deeper and more profound ways. So I think the question for us today is, where are you on the journey? And like I said, you may see yourself throughout, you know, like at this place I feel like I'm here, and this place I feel like I'm here, but like where would you, where would you land today? Where are the places that God is inviting you to put the other knee down and surrender so that he can come in? I pray that we would see ourselves as citizens of heaven now who are on the journey home with Jesus and that we would trust him more every day to make us people that he's calling us to be. Amen.